Welcome to Bite Size Football, the only concept of, past, of podcast. This week I'm joined by Josh and Dino, as we will be for the following weeks. And uh, hi guys, how are you doing? Um, I'm alright, thanks. How are you doing, Josh? Um, not bad, not bad. I, I should explain, uh, Big Sweet Symphony is usually associated with England and their World Cup uh, woes. It's usually woes since 66. Uh, but this time it's to do with... Uh, Ben Teke, he's been ruled out of the World Cup, probably, and ruled out of the rest of Aston Villa's season, possibly up to nine months out, which is a big blow for him as he's gone into form. We'll start off with that before we move into the Champions League. Uh, Dino, your thoughts? Villa are, uh, are out of the relegation zone. They're quite comfortably, but without Ben Teke, sort of, as he was just getting into form, this is a big blow for them. Do you think they can last up there, or... Will we see like last season where they really did struggle? Um, well, I think Villa are a team that um, have sort of used averageness this season. Obviously, Benteke, the sort of shining light on occasions, but I don't think that he's shown the form. I know he's had injuries, I know, I know he's had little blips, but I don't think he's been anywhere near the Benteke that we saw the previous season. So um, there's no reason why they can't get into a bit of trouble now. But um, they, they, they play decent football. They're not a team like, say, the likes of Palace or... Um, Stoke, or the old Stoke, most uh, particularly that, um, that play the game in a, in a boring way, and, and they do like to get the ball on the floor of the likes of Delft, Westwood, and I think those sorts of players will be enough to keep them up. Um, but that's a massive blow for them. Josh, do you think they can do it? Obviously, as a City fan, you're sort of on the opposite end of the table. Uh, but do you think they can last? Because we've seen their with the young players that Paul Lambert's tried to bring in and has done almost successfully, do you think they can last the the few games left of the season and get through the barrier of staying in the Premier League? Well, obviously, Benteke's uh, injury is, is a big blow. Um, I know he hasn't he hasn't really hit the ground running this season like he did in his uh, debut season in England, but you know he still remains a, a key figure uh, up top. But, you know, when you look at the squad, they still have got a lot of talent in there. When you think of the, uh, the midfielders, um, Westwood and Delph, you know, the, the, the talented players and, you know, they've, they've proved, um, recently, I mean, Westwood's, uh, superb goal against, against United and, and Delph scored a, uh, an exquisite goal against Chelsea a couple of weeks back. So, them two are very talented and, you know, they've, they've got a good pool of players to, to, uh, you know, that Lambert can pick from. Um, you know, when you look at the front three as well, Vyman, um, Al Brighton, and a bongo, and I think a bongo now with the, um, with, you know, Benteke's injury, I think he'll, he'll really have to step up to the mark, but, um, I think they might just, might just stay up Villa, um, and, and then obviously they can build again for next season. Yeah, three of their next games against, four, three out of four of their next games are against teams below them, and they mm-hmm. lie in 12, eight points away from the relegation zone. But do you think the game against Fulham on Saturday is, will define their season, if you like? So they lose that, could they then go on to lose to Palace, Southampton and then Swansea and that would be it for them? Mm, I, I think that uh, 
that Fulham game could be massive because it's a game they really have to win. Fulham have been awful this season, in my opinion, especially since Perbatov, who sort of carried them the previous season. He's departed, and you've really seen the effects on the team. Magat got them playing a little bit of good football, but still, for me, not enough to keep them in the division. And if Villa lose to them, uh, it could prove significant for them in terms of momentum and confidence and morale within the squad. Um, but, you know, I think, I think they'll be alright, even if they do drop points against Fulham. Uh, I think that, I think they'll rack up enough points before the end of the season to stay in this division. Uh, because quite frankly, there are a lot of teams that are worse than them, and, and that's undoubtable in my opinion. Josh, any final words on Villa? Or do you want to say something about Belgium's World Cup hopes after this? Benteke is obviously not their best player with the likes of Company and Hazard uh, and Courtois, but he is a key member of their side. Do you think they can sort of go against this, against the now sort of pessimism that will follow this news and uh, still do well as they expect to do in the World Cup? I think they will still do well, as much as his. Yeah, it is a big loss because he's obviously a very talented player, but they've still got, um, you know, a plethora of, plethora of, um, attacking options and, uh, especially in, in wide areas and, um, and players who can, who can play up top as well. Uh, what I do think is that this, this injury will perhaps mean a change of shape, um, for the, for the World Cup. I would have thought that to begin with, with, with both, uh, Lukaku, and Benteke available, they might have gone, you know, with with two big, powerful strikers up top to try and try and frighten defenders and uh, bamboozle them about a bit. But now I think that with his injury, we might just we might see Lukaku play play up front as a lone striker, as we've seen him in, in, in play so well for Everton um, over the course of the season. So a uh, big blow, but you know, it's uh, all the. Uh, all the pressure goes on to Lukaku now and hopefully he can deliver on the, on, on this big occasion when, when the World Cup does come around. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see them uh, doing so badly after much optimism from Paul Lambert. But uh, since they haven't been in the Champions League in a while, we can't link that to them. But moving on <laughs> to the Champions League, uh, it wasn't short of amazing goals, was it? Diego Ribas with a stunner, Javier Pastore sort Ooh, of ripping Chelsea apart. Uh what was your goal of the of uh, the week of football? Um, I think I, don't, I can't see nothing uh, more than Diego Ribas's strike against the Barca because that really was an absolute stunner. Um, even if you put two keepers in that net, uh, I, I just don't think you're going to save that. It was out of nowhere, no backlift, really good technique. Um, and but, but there's, there's been some other goals that have really impressed me too. The likes of Neymar's goal in the same game, where Iniesta just found the ball that was just really, really good, exquisite pass, uh, almost defied gravity with a swerve and, and the just the vision to find Neymar's run was just brilliant. Um, the United game, uh, Bayern scored a decent counter attack there, good good knockdown from Mandzukic, but not one of their better goals, admittedly, and. and Pastore's goal is obviously one that that deserves to be spoken about, even if the defending and the goalkeeping was a little bit debatable. But um, yeah, yeah, we did see quite a few good goals, and I enjoyed them myself. Josh, Pastore, Diego, your pick. Oh, you know it's a tough one because so many great goals this week, and I haven't really got much to talk about uh, after that. But I quite like Vidic's goal, you know, even as a, as a safe and his his header was. You know, it, it was a, a, it was, a really neat goal. It was I know it's bad. Beauty for me. 
Yeah, he's, bad mark, he's, bad marking, but the way he's directed it, he's, he's, he's walking away from the goal. It's it's not even uh, like Hernandez where against Stoke in his first season. He he's genuinely walking away from the goal. He's yeah. going in a complete the wrong direction. He looks uninterested. He thinks he's gone. Uh, the chance is over. He's running back to his defence and bang goes in. Yeah, extraordinary action and technique. He's one of those players that no matter where the ball is, he's always going to get his head on it. And to to get that direction and power on it really is really really good technique. I mean, just young kids watching me, me, Harry, uh, Josh, us three. That's how you head a ball, you know. <laughs> No, you had no chance. You can't can't fault him at all with that. It's it's out of his reach completely. But but Pastore is what a great goal that was. Dancing in in between two or three Chelsea defenders and an emphatic finish. And Diego's is just a absolutely delightful goal. The way he's hit it, it's just perfect. And um, hopefully we'll see a few more uh, fantastic goals in the Champions League when the, the next the the second legs come around next week. Yeah, who? On, to, on the second leg, who, out of Chelsea and United and Atletico, the three teams who have seemingly uh, been the main sort of discussion points, Dortmund were never really in that tie with Madrid. Who do you think stunned, uh, who do you think surprised most? Obviously, United against Bayern is big, but who do you think has the best chance going into uh, the second leg? Um... I think I think Bayern have got the United game. Uh, no offense, Harry, but um, you know United have been pretty average this season. Uh, we all know how good Bayern have been. They've already won the league, sealed it in March. Something to say, uh, absolutely extraordinary, really. And Pep's got them playing amazingly. I wrote an article on them actually quite recently about how they've they've taken the tactics from uh, Heinkes, which were you know quick counter attack, one two three passes, goal. And, and mixed it with a bit of Pep's tactics, which are, you know, pass, pass, mesmerise your position and bang before you notice in the back of the net. And, and they've just found an amazing, amazing recipe. Defensively, however, they, they do look a tiny bit, um, vulnerable. They made Welbeck look a bit, a bit too good for my liking on occasions, even though he missed that good chance against Neuer. Um, so in the United game, I can only see one winner. In the PSG game, it's a different story because Chelsea, we all know that Mourinho, his tactics always, um, well, most of the time seem to work. They didn't get, the, they weren't too lucky against PSG with the own goal and, and things like that. But um, I think at home, we all know Mourinho's formid, uh, how, how formidable, how formidable his sides are at home. Um, so, so there, I'm not quite sure of the outcome. We know about the Real Madrid game. Um, Looking, looking like Madrid are going to win there, which is a bit of an understatement. And the the final game between the Spanish sides, uh, it's another one that's a really tricky one to call. At the Vicente Calderon somewhere, Diego Simeone's side are strong at home, um, but we all know what Barcelona are capable of. So, so all the games looking good. Yeah, uh, Dortmund uh, out of the question. Even though they did, Lewandowski scored four last year. You can't see him doing that again. I mean, to score four against Madrid twice would just be incredible. But uh, the real question is, United have been average and Bayern have been absolutely insane. Uh, I mean, winning the league in March is just something you don't do. Uh, and they've <laughs> managed it. But um, if, if, United, if the teams both play like that again, which of the sides do you think could nick it in in the final minutes. Ooh. I would still fancy Bayern. Uh, I I think United defended really well um, on Tuesday, but 
Bayern had some some good moments. Obviously, dominated the game in in large spells, but the the final ball was lacking a lot of the time. And I think in the return leg, that'll be something that that won't be the case. I think Mandzukic will probably start. Um, there'll be a few changes um, in shape, maybe. Um, Dante will come back into the side, and I think they'll look a bit more solid, and they'll be. They'd be playing like the Bayern Munich we've, we've come to expect now. So, uh, you know, I, I guess still fancy Bayern to go through, though, you know, United, you know, they have to, they, they, they are dangerous, as, as they've proved. Yeah, um, I agree with you on that, because uh, even, even when United did manage to get a little bit of possession, which wasn't the most frequent thing to happen during the game, Bayern always looked like they had that little bit more of a cutting edge, and that's them at their worst, well, nearly their worst. I've, seen, I've not seen them play that badly, or that average, uh, this season. And yet they still look like scoring. Man United were looking good in the counter. Rooney's passes spreading through Welbeck a few times. But um, I think even if they do play like that at the Allianz with the intimidation of the home fans and, and etc., I think I can, um, Bayern, Bayern will find a way of winning it, even even if they're not at their best, like they were at Old Trafford. All right, on to Chelsea. Do you th- Mourinho's comments after the game were interesting. He seemed uh, he's. He's well known for his uh, defensive players, even when they've been, uh, what's the word for it, uh, dreadful. Uh, and Torres has been that for a few years now, and most Chelsea managers have defended him, said he's well, he's doing well in training, he'll be back soon. But he's just not doing that, and Mourinho has actually come out and said that he he needs the upgrade on Torres, on uh, on Dembabar and on Eto. Eto could be the one that stays as for the League Cup, uh, but. Torres and Barr look to be on their way out, but do you th- has something changed for Mourinho since uh, the loss to Palace? Do you think he can really uh, get back at uh, Laurent Blanc and Paris Saint-Germain now, or, mm. or has his mentality changed? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because we've always we've always seen Mourinho as quite a calm figure, someone that's wise and that he knows what he's on about, and, and his turning point seems to have sort of uh, come. Even if it, it's not quite there yet, uh, you, it's not really a characteristic thing of Mourinho to slag off his own players. Obviously, there's there's an element of the mind games in there. The Portuguese man is is absolutely brilliant at that, and and he don't stop doing it. He's addicted to it, and, and it works. But it is quite disrespectful because um, Samueletto is a striker that's been around Europe and he's scored goals everywhere. Fernando Torres, okay, he's in bad form. He's been in bad form for three years, but. It's not the way to motivate your players. I'm, I'm not sure if Josh agrees with that. No, definitely. It's, it's nice. He's obviously out of order to do that. Um, you know, slag them off so openly, uh, where everyone, where it's for everyone to see. Um, and to be honest, he's, he's, he's uh, criticising his strikers, and that was most of that was aimed at at Flores, But he's the only one to blame. You know, if he, he wants his strikers to be to be firing more, and, and so they should be. They've, they've not scored enough goals. When you look at the the the, uh, the attacking the attacking uh, sort of uh, players they've got Hazard, you know, obviously the the main threat for goals. Um, but he's 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 sent out Lukaku on loan. He's he's been on fire for Everton, and he's um, he's not taking taking up the opportunity to sign uh, someone like Costa or Falco or anyone like that who can. Who can be, you know, the, the, the spearhead with the attack. And, you know, it, it all goes down, you know, uh, leads back to him, ultimately. And, um, if they don't win the league, then, you know, you've got to say there's going to be some, some big changes there, especially up top, because he'll, 
he, he has to sign a, a striker who can, who can put the ball in the net consistently because they're just not doing that at the moment. But it's it's all down to him, uh, in, in, ultimately. Yeah, it, it's a, it was a performance unlike Mourinho, to be honest. I mean, David Luiz giving away a stupid free kick, then scoring an on goal, and then poor keeping. I mean, that's just that's not Chelsea. Uh, they've, they've always been... Not at all. They've always been renowned for Czech being one of the best keepers in the world consistently every season. And uh, then Terry, Louise, people like that, they're usually solid. Uh, not always Louise, but then once you've got Louise making mistakes, you've got people like Terry, like Cahill backing up for him. And that just didn't happen uh, on Wednesday. Do you think in, in London in a week, uh, what's your prediction? Um... um. Oh, it's like, go on, Josh. I'll let you. I'll let you start this one. I'd, I'd expect Chelsea to win, but I don't think it'll be enough um, for him to go through. I'll go for uh, I reckon one one nil Chelsea, um, which would, which you know, it, it obviously won't be enough, and it it won't satisfy Mourinho. So that's what I'll go for. Yeah, um, I saw Harry tweet something a couple of days back um, about how. All that attacking prowess that Paris Saint-Germain possesses is not going to be restricted at all. Um, even if that hands out, the likes of Cavani, who was a bit off off it um, last night, but um, you know Ezekiel Lovetsy, players like that, Thiago Motto in the centre of the park, Moratti, who had a great game, uh, you know Blaise Matuidi, they're all players that that can cause problems for any defence, and um, I can't see them not scoring away at Chelsea as. Hard as it is, especially when a Mourinho um, managed team do make sure that they're defensively stable. Um, Chelsea scoring goals, on the other hand, looks. Uh, I, I, I think that that's almost a guaranteed. I think they'll go out there and with uh, nothing to lose because they're, they're sort of like the underdogs now. Um, I think the goal will come from someone like Schürrle, Hazard, or Oscar, or Williams, one of those players. Maybe not so, uh, number nine up front, but. You know they've got enough behind him to to get a goal or two, but ultimately um, I don't think they'll achieve their aim of going through because it's just too big of an ask um, to score three or four against the PSG side that have Thiago Silva at the heart of their defence and Marquinhos or Alex next to him, Maxwell left back, you know a strong back four, and I don't think they'll they'll be too vulnerable to Chelsea attacks. Yeah, uh, Josh, over to you for your number ten. Ramble or whatever you're doing. Explain, explain to to us what you're doing. Well, basically, it's, it's a bit of a uh, topical thing, really, that we all, as football fans, appreciate. You know, the number ten, that being um, the player who operates behind the striker and you know creates and orchestrates most of the attacks. But I, I've seen um, something on, on Sky Sports a couple. Of, I think it, yeah, this week, this week, and um, it's sort of the how number 10 players have evolved over the years and basically as um, a number of, of players who sort of operated in that role uh, over over the years and some players who, who, um, who have uh, you know took on that role recently um, and as the, the goals per game and, and the, it's really interesting to see how since uh, Roberto Baggio of Juventus who had um, 0.55 goals per game then Rivaldo following on with 0.55 Cantona, 0.45. Totti, 0.42. Del Piero, 0.41. Right down to, uh, to Silva, who's at 0.16. Now, straight away, you can see that the um, the more modern-day number 10s are scoring 
completely, you know, a lot, a lot more, uh, a lot less goals, which is, which is quite intriguing really to see how players like Silva and Ozil, they aren't renowned for scoring goals and, um, the sort of number tens of the modern day are now, uh, dropping a bit deeper and, and not, um, linking up, if you like, with, with the forwards. Of course, they're still, uh, linking up with, with the forwards because you have to create chances for them, but more, um, sort of more, I don't know how we can word it really. Maybe just, uh, it's more of a free role as opposed to just your job is to make things happen. They can go out wide, they can, you know, and, and, and make things happen. So I'm interested to, to see what you think of it. And how number 10 players now are, uh, are completely different to how, how they were back in, uh, back, of, back in a few years ago with, with Baggio, with Aldo, Tati and, you know, those sort of players. So anyone to offer your opinion, just, you know, chip in. So, yeah, it's a good I'm one. Not sure I agree with this one. Um, it, the the involvement of the four-two-three-one formation, which has come around now, most teams are playing. Starting with Barcelona, when they had Busquets and Xavi holding that midfield, uh, Iniesta, you know, players like that, they had that double pivot. Um, yeah, they had that double pivot, um, which. Which, which sort of restricts that area of the pitch, doesn't it? Because there's two players that can tackle in there, two players yeah. that can play, and, and it gives that number 10 a little bit more, less space, as opposed to the old 4-4-2, where you'd have two centre mids, um, that neither, sometimes neither of which were natural central defensive mids, um, and, and those obviously essentially two, one less to make the tackles. So that could be to do with it. Um, I also think that, the managers like AVB and and people like that, the, the courageous managers that like to play a high line, sort of leave less space for that number 10 to operate as well, uh, which means that they're getting more assists now because they're playing balls over the top for the likes of Walcott, Navas, um, Aguero, Pedro, you know, you, you can go everywhere on the, in the whole continent. But, um, you know, they're going to be playing passes, but essentially they're not going to be having as much time on the ball, are they, with the centre-backs and, and the central defensive midfielders pressing um, you know, the Makaleli role has obviously developed. It's, um, it's, it's basically there to stop the number 10, and I think that could be, uh, part of the reason why they're not scoring as much. I don't know if Harry, uh, has anything to say on this one. You've basically covered it. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, you've seen players like, uh, Totti as sort of the final player of the different generation of number 10s that we have now. Players like Rooney are sort of half and half, but, uh, people like Oscar sometimes playing in that number 10 role. They're just a different breed at the moment. Mm, they, they like to come deep and play like a register role, like a, um, it's sort of like the in fashion thing started, started sort of with Messi, but there's obviously been players that have done it before it. That, that they like to come deep, um, receive the ball, work their way forward. I've even seen the likes of Nicholas Bentner and Emmanuel Abayordo, which is a bit, um, of contrast there. But, um, yeah, that's something that could also play a part in it. That there, I saw a bit of Gary Neville analysis also on the same show that Sky Sports showed with David Silva coming deep, you know, playing the game at his own pace. Um, you know, he wants the ball. He won't, he won't play a one-two all the time. Instead, he'll play the game at the pace he wants to. Play a one-two of his player, drop deep, play a through ball. You know what I mean? Like he, he's not the sort of player that'll that'll bust the gut to get in the box, and I think that's sort of why. The number tens don't score as much as they have in the past. I think also there's a lot of less space for him to work in. Um, managers sort of seem to have 
and players as well seem to suss out that players like Silver, they're always going to try and, and work in that space. And so it's important that you have your own, you have a, a player in there to do a job in him. Whereas perhaps in the days of, um, of, of Cantona and that, you were, you were more concerned about the player who was, who was popping up in the box. You know, and, you know yeah. football's changed them. Uh, and so it's tactics and, and all that to go with it. And I just think that could be uh, a reason why, uh, uh, you know, number 10s aren't scoring as many goals, but, you know, it's, Clearly, they make up for it with the amount of goals they create and, and, and assist. So I'm not complaining. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, it's basically a never-ending sort of conversation, isn't it? Uh, you could, you could yeah. talk about any any number ten in the whole of the continent, and they're all different. And obviously, on the whole, they don't score as much. Um, but we are pretty bite-sized, aren't we? And we're not going to make it into a dinner. So I think we've got to keep it short, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. keeping it short. Let's move on to our. Uh, what is it? Ridiculous story of the week? Uh, funniest story of the week? Josh, you go first. Well, it's sort of like a bizarre moment of the week, really, isn't it? So, um, there's always strange, crazy, mad stuff going on in football, and, you know, it was, it was still the case this week, where, um, I think one of the main ones, which was Thiago Silva's celebration, the, uh, the other night for, I think it was PSG's third goal, the Pastore goal, and it's, everyone else is sort of sprinting over to Pastore, and he's stood there on the halfway line, you know, throwing his fists out. Yeah, it's it's, it's Marino-esque, isn't it? Oh, it's absolutely mad, you know. <laughs> absolutely crazy, and, you know, it's great to see stuff like that in football, to be honest. It's, yeah, uh, he's... Pa- passionate, although, I'm not too sure he's, he's right up to the shock anyone anyway, up. Maybe he's just having a fight with an imaginary punch bag, you know, which I don't know, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, funny to see. He saw Mourinho's celebration after Hazard scored and started punching the air. Uh, you know what's your what's your bizarre moment of the week? Mine's a tad anti anticlimactic. Um, if, if I'm going to be humbly honest, but um, yeah, I don't know if it was actually in the last seven days, but I saw um, I was watching the Leverkusen game against Hoffenheim and <clears throat> inform Anthony Modest, the uh, striker. He's, he's been a bit of a nuisance for every defence this season. And when he scored against Leverkusen, he, uh, he, he went up to the net and I was thinking, what's he doing? And then he started looking around and, and I later realised that um, he was looking for a hole in the net after that fixture last season was um, was the fixture where we saw the Keithling ghost goal, where he heads the ball, goes through yeah. the side thing and the ref gives it. So um, I thought that was quite funny from Modest, a, bit, a good bit of banter to have a, <laughs> have a look there. Yeah, it's class. Class. <laughs> Yeah, my one of the week is uh, the standard Liege fans um, usually delayed kickoffs come because of a, a storm or snow or maybe the teams arrived late and got stuck in traffic on the M6 up to Manchester or something. But uh, this time it was delayed kickoff as a toilet paper avalanche hit the pitch. Um, thousands <laughs> roll, thousands of rolls of toilet paper were thrown from supporters at one end of the Maurice de France Stadium. Uh, it's it's incredible. I when I've sort of read the the byline, I the, the headline and the the starting section, I didn't think it would be uh, anything special. I thought this is a ridiculous story. It's just Daily Mail uh, messing about again. But the picture is incredible. It looks like raining uh, sort of sleets of. It's like the stuff that comes down when uh, United win the leagues like twenty different times. Uh, the the different sort of spraying down. Uh, it's it's incredible. I'll put a picture up on the Twitter later. Uh, it's definitely Mad. obviously, and also a video on the Daily Mail website as well. It's 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 insane. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely bizarre. Uh, we've got, what is it? Two minutes for questions. All right, our first one, Arnautovic. Uh, that's who it's from. Uh, can Stoke catch up Newcastle in ninth? Your thoughts? Josh, you got 30 seconds. Go. Right, just looking at the, the table now, and it's... It is closer. We're the only six points behind, um, and Newcastle still have some some tough games. I think they still have to play. Uh, obviously, they play uh, United at home this week, and this game they could drop points there. They still have to go to Liverpool last game of the season, so you can see them dropping more points and not in good form at the moment. Um, Stoke seems to be gradually improving. A good result. Um, I think it was against Hull. Did they play at the weekend and? Good result against Villa a couple of weeks back. Um, so, you know, so they they're, they're doing well, and you know, I I actually think they they could catch there and have a uh, good debut, a good first season uh, under Mark Hughes. Yep, uh, they do play Stoke, Stoke Newcastle at the Britannia on twelfth of April. That's going to be a good one. Uh, that's starting at fifteen or uh, three seven past three because of the tribute to Hillsborough. Dino, thirty seconds. Can Stoke catch up? Um, I I think so. Um. Games are running out, but there's, uh, there's only two wins, essentially. One win could come in that game where they play each other. But it's, it's a sort of a conversation that won't have too much significance come the end of the season because it's, what is it, ninth and tenth place? Yep. The positions that, you know, it doesn't decide Champions League or relegation or anything significant like that. So I don't think it will have too much significance uh, in the Barclays Premier League. Uh, all right, 30 seconds for this one as well. Uh, actually, it's 20 seconds now. A little over. Do you think Arsenal could cope with the expectation and win the FA Cup? No, uh, they will get me by Wigan and get relegated. Uh, right. I, I'm going to take your first comment. The other one can go in the bin. Uh, Dino, quickly, 20 seconds, go. Um, well, I'm an Arsenal fan and I've, I'm a bit prone to uh, getting let down by Arsenal, unfortunately. But I'm, I'm pretty confident now. We're going to decide that Dun City away, so they can't be that bad. But um, I'm sure... I'm sure we can. I'm sure we can win the FA Cup, and I don't think we'll bottle it, even though I can't guarantee anything. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Bite Side Football. Uh, goodbye from me. Goodbye from Josh, and goodbye from Dino. Goodbye. Bye. How long's that, Harry? <laughs> <laughs>